Well, I want to take one more minute before we jump into the sermon to just chat a little bit because my heart is so full and overflowing from this past week with the worship nights. How many of you had an opportunity to come out to one of the worship nights? And just out of curiosity, the reason it moved me so, of course it was it's wonderful, amazing, excellent, but even more so if you were here in the early days, right? How many of you were with us in Turkeyville Middle School or Dixie High School back then? Yeah, there's still some of you. I mean, do you, how many of you remember singing to a cassette tape? We put a microphone in front of a tape player. Yeah, that was bad, really bad. And people came anyway. It's a shocker. We were up to 175 people doing that. And uh, then one Sunday, finally, I just couldn't take it anymore. I held up my guitar on the stage and said, we're going live. If you play an instrument, please come forward. And we kind of got it going, and then I just stepped away once we had much better people who could do these things. But I left, my heart was just so full, uh, just for the great worship, but also to, to think. Again, I found myself thinking, it's an example of Ephesians 3.20, that him was able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we could ask or think. I was just hoping one day there'd be a worship leader with a real band that would do live music. But God has given us someone who was flying the friendly skies, that's Brad Spence, a pilot, that can write music and arrange music and, and he's such a leader and a developer. And it's not all about Brad Spence and he'd be the first to tell you that. God in his mercy and sovereignty has brought just some of the right people here at the right time. There's a guy in our church named JD that he, he sells beats for a living. You can Google that and figure that out. But he, I mean, he comes up with beats and sells them to musicians. He's a great producer and he's in our church. Stephanie Vazikas on the cello that night is a phenomenal cellist. And she's in our church. We didn't have to go out and find people and pay them to come in and help us pull off that night. They're all just people right here in our church. And so I was just so encouraged by the worship and all that it entailed to just see what God has done to bring us to this point. I think there's five of those CDs left if you want one. And maybe they're in the resource center. We ordered 500 and we have five left. I mean, it's that good. This is, you're not going to listen to this and say, oh, that sounds like we made that ourselves. No, no. This is really good. You know how a relative or a friend says, hey, here's my CD and me and my friends made this. No, 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 no. This is really, really good. You will think, wow. So if you want, you can get up right now and run. No, I'm just kidding. So I just wanted to give God praise. Just so encouraged by this week and coming out for those nights. Well, we're in the book of Romans. We're in the book of Romans. And for the past two weeks, we've just stepped back and hit pause to look over our shoulder and say, all right, what are some of the peaks or the high points of Romans so far? Because we've covered the first seven chapters and that's a lot of terrain to cover. But I want us to get the big picture and say, what are the peaks and the high spots before we put our heads down and head into one of the most glorious, rich, breathtaking chapters in all the Bible, Romans chapter eight. But I want us to get our bearings and see where have we been? What have we seen? And as we've gotten the big picture in place again, one of the things that is just absolutely clear, no fuzziness about this, is from Romans chapter 1 through 3, your biggest problem and my biggest problem is not an economic problem, it's not a health problem, it's not a psychological problem. Do we have some economic problems in our country, in our world today? Oh yeah. Do we have health problems like never before? I've been a pastor 30 years and I'm 51 years old, but I feel like in the past decade, more than ever before, I'm encouraging and praying for people 
who they have something wrong with them and doctors are saying, we just don't know. We're not used to that in America, right? We're more used to, I tell you what's wrong with me and you give me a pill or you do some surgery and it's all better. It just seems like we've got health problems like never before. We've got economic problems that some of us never thought America would be dealing with the strength of the American dollar. All kinds of problems. But folks, our biggest problem, yours and mine, is much deeper than any of that. Our biggest problem is a sin problem that brings us face to face with a God problem. And you didn't have to sign up for it. You say, I don't remember signing up for that. You didn't. You were born that way. Born that way. Born with a sin condition that brings you face to face with a God problem by birth. See, the Bible tells us the biggest problem that each one of us has is a vertical problem. It's rooted in a vertical problem that then spills over into some, oh, messy horizontal problems with other people around it. Do we have problems with other people around us? I do. I don't know about you. I I bet you do. But folks, it's helpful when you can understand. Now, don't hear me overselling because I don't have hair swept back and my wife doesn't have long lashes and I'm not driving a fast car. So don't hear me saying, if you come to Jesus and get this vertical problem right, everything else is taken care of. Everything's just great. All my relationships are fine. No, 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 no. Still messy. But oh, the mess that you experience on a horizontal level is so much more bearable when your biggest vertical problem has been taken care of. When this is wrong and this is wrong, oh. So our biggest problem is a sin problem that brings us face to face with a God problem. And here's what it does. This sin problem causes us, all of us, to be entrenched in a rebellion against the glory of God because I'm living for my own glory. You say, really? Yeah, really. Yeah, you're, you're, each one of us is waging a quiet war. Now, some, some of people, the war doesn't stay quiet. It gets really loud. But for those of you that look real nice, there's still a quiet war that you're waging against the glory of God apart from a work of God in your heart. And see, that's what causes husbands and wives to not be able to get along. That I'm striving for my glory. I'm living for my glory That's what causes roommates to have great big falling outs with each other. That's what is behind all the gossip and backbiting and slander and one-upmanship that goes on in the workplace, right? That's what's behind the bullying and the mocking and the abuse that students heap on each other at middle school and high school campuses. Sin. Our sin problem that affects everything we think and do. It it taints and affects everything we think and do. But see, a lot of people today, as I talk this way, this sounds archaic because a lot of people today, the experts in turtlenecks and smoking pipes and being interviewed are saying, you know, what, what, what problem? What, what problem? And they think this notion of sin is just an outdated ancient concept or a ploy by pastors and churches that we just try to keep alive, try to keep this concept of sin alive because if sin goes out of fashion, what do we need to exist for? And so to keep our doors open and to justify why we exist and to be in business, we got to keep talking up sin. On top of that, we're in a country, we live in a day where there's a psychology and therapy industry 
that's been working hard for decades now to convince all of us that no one is truly a sinner. No one's at fault. No one's responsible, right? We're all victims. And on top of that, we're chemically imbalanced. And so that's why we do what we do. Now, don't hear me saying there's not a place for people to be screwed up in the brain. I believe there is. We live in a fallen world. It messes up our physical bodies. It affects our brains. But folks, there's not that many people with sick, crooked brains. You know what the bigger problem is? A sick, crooked heart. That's what the Bible talks about. But our world insists on every time someone kicks open the side door of a movie theater, comes in and guns down innocent people, Every, they always just say, oh, how could this be? It's got to be something in his family, something with his mother, something an imbalance. No one wants to say he's responsible. He planned it. He knows what he's doing. It's shocking and it's heinous, but that's how dark the human heart is. And that's the capacity that human beings, apart from Christ, apart from God's help, that's what they would do to each other. They don't want to own that. They don't want to acknowledge that. So people who are leading spokespeople and educators with degrees strung after their names just keep trying to convince us that we've kind of grown up and out of this thing called sin. But listen to me. It's a lie. It's a useful lie. It's a popular lie. It'll sell you a lot of books lie. But it's a lie nonetheless. And the lie's been around so long now that I believe we're starting to actually believe it. And so we find it troubling and hard to see places like Romans 1 to 3 when you just think, oh my goodness, it it shows our condition to be so dark and so ugly, Brad. Our hearts are so dark and so ugly when you read it from Romans. Is it really that bad? Is that really our condition? I love Winston Churchill and uh, love to read about him. He's a witty guy. I like that. And uh, one time Winston Churchill said this. He said, he said, yeah, we're all worms, but I do believe I am a glow worm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really captures it, right? Don't you love that? That's our tendency. We'll, We'll give in and say, yeah, but somehow I'm different. Yeah, we're all worms. I'll give you that. But I am a glow worm. That's what's going on between husbands and wives and and conflict, right? As they relate to each other. Yeah, we're both worms, but I am the glow worm. Keep that in mind, baby love. Respect the glow worm. Prefer the glow worm. Defer to the glow worm. Make it all about the glow worm. And have no doubt who is the glow worm. Me, not you. Normal worm, glow worm. Okay? Get that? Just keep that. Framed up as we relate to each other. Normal, everyday worm, glow worm. Because we always think, right? I don't think it's just me. Don't look at me like it's just me. See, that shows how wicked you are right there. <laughs> looking at me the way you're looking at me now. Mm-hmm. We tend to think, I'm right. I'm right. I'm, I'm a little wrong, but she's most wrong. Right? That, that's glow worm thinking right there. That's what is behind that news alert the book of romans flies in the face of all that glow worm thinking romans 3 22 to 23 go there we've been there a lot but go there i hope you hope it ends up with just little smudges and little fingerprints and the pages are just worn out romans 3 22 to 23 jumping at the end of 22 for there is no say it difference now 
I don't mind some of you bringing apps in your lap, but let me tell you a good thing about having a real Bible with paper is you can write stuff in the margin. And one of the things you could write in the margin right there is no glow worms, just worms. That'll help you. Just take that with you the rest of your days. There is no, say it, difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we said that verse gives us a book, good, it's a place to build a good biblical definition of what sin is and why it has more to do with God than other people around us. That it's what is taking place between us and God that is the biggest problem. And then the Apostle Paul really hits on this glory of God deal and shows how central it is in a verse that we'll get to in oh, maybe two years. We'll take a sneak preview, okay? Romans 11. Imagine being there. 36. Woo. But Romans eleven thirty six 36 shows the centrality of this whole issue when he says, For from him and through him and to him are a few things, but the rest is all about you. Now, are what? All things to him be the glory in the Bible days. No, when should it be to him be the glory? Forever. Amen. Kind of stick the landing. Amen. For from him, through him, to him, are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It shows the centrality of the fact that we were designed to live our lives for God's glory. All of the universe was designed to, li- to be for God's glory. So make sure I keep harping on we were designed to... To bring glory to God. But I want to make sure you know the whole creation. That, that's the deal. Trees and forests and, and snow-capped mountains and bubbling brooks and flowers. And fish so deep they don't have eyes and just little antennas. And they're swimming around. All this is for the glory of God. But here's what I want you to get. In the entire universe of stars, oceanography, astronomy, biology. Just delve into every realm we as human beings are uniquely designed to bring God glory like no other created thing in the universe. Why? Because of everything, we are the only things created in, can you say it? His image, the image of God, made in the image of God. Not dogs, not plants, not stars, not mountains, not snow, not... Lo- we created in the image of God. And it doesn't, the Bible doesn't teach that you get that when you become a Christian. As soon as someone becomes a Christian, it's like, now you're created in the image of God. Before you were from birth. So no matter how wicked or heinous or, or, or way off the, off the reservation somebody is, they're still created in the image of God. Of God and have dignity and worth that distinguishes them from the plant and animal kingdom. But that's a message that needs to be recaptured and heralded in our day with great gusto because the world has done such a good job from Darwin on down helping us buy into there's no difference. There's no difference. Plants, animals, pigs, dogs, monkeys, no difference, no difference, no difference, no difference. And is it any wonder? Young people and older people who've gotten what the world says you need to get begin to say, whoa, what is, why am I here? What is this about? Until you connect with the sense of I am here to bring glory 
to God, you don't even start firing on all pistons. Now, don't hear me say, if when I said, I'm here to bring glory to God, you substitute, I gotta be a missionary, a pastor, a youth pastor, something real churchy, bummer. Let me help you. Please don't. Stay where you are. Be the best engineer, the best homemaker, the best chef, the best cook, the best uh, creative card maker. Whatever it is he's gifted you to do, you keep on doing it, but you connect it to, as I do this and I'm good at this, I bring glory to God. 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 This, there's a lot of, imagine growing up in my home. Can you imagine if you were one of my kids? The things that a pastor, counselor, teacher would want his kids to get. And this was one of them, that we're created in the image of God. We're made in the image of God, and that gives you purpose and meaning. And so I tried to press that home every chance I could get. And I remember, it was years ago now, I remember one night after supper, sitting at the supper table, reading a children's devotional. I've got five kids. They were all young, because Sarah, my youngest, is 15 now. She was three or four at the time, in a high chair. I'm reading this children's devotional to them, and that night, the chapter was about purpose and meaning in life because we're created in the image of God. So I was like, great. And so I'm pressing it. I'm reading what this guy is saying. Now, sadly, I also remember he gave a negative illustration in the chapter. He said, I think President Clinton, maybe was the president at the time, maybe he wasn't, but he talked about President Clinton. And said, President Clinton was being interviewed by MTV and a teenager, 17-year-old girl, asked him, President Clinton, what can be done to help teenagers? What about the high rate of teen suicide? What can be done to give them hope and a sense of purpose in life? And he said, you know, you don't really have to have purpose and meaning in life as long as you feel good about yourself. Now, I could just chase that down all day and beat it to a pulp, but I won't because <laughs> I've got other things to do. That doesn't work, right? After a while, that's, that's just like cotton candy. That's just puffing. Feel good about yourself. Why? Based on what? I can only do that so long and then I'm gonna have to turn to a drug or something else to keep this propped up because it's vacuous. There's no substance. I'm just supposed to feel good about myself for no reason. News alert, I don't feel good about myself and I'm wondering why I'm here and I'm wondering why other people have more of the stuff that I think I'm supposed to have than I do. Doesn't work, Bill. So I almost came out of my kitchen chair, of course. And I'm like, you guys, we have to have purpose and meaning in life to have real peace and joy. And we have that because of everything in the universe. We are made in and I paused, hoping this would be a great teaching moment, hoping that I've said this so many times, some child would fill in the blanks. And Sarah in her high chair to my right says, China! I'm like, well, okay, there's still work to be done. That's why you gotta say it, say it, say it. Praise God we're not made in China like everything else. We're made in the image of God and we're designed to be image bearers and reflectors of his glory. But because of our sinful hearts, we have become glory thieves. And we spend our days trying to rob God of glory and competing with other people for glory. And it's, what it's, it's really what's at the bottom of so much of our conflicts 
It really is. At the bottom, I mean, you can sort through all kinds of yuck and muck, and there's plenty of, of confusion and conflict and hurt and words that have been slung back and forth like grenades. But if you'll dig down through all that slime, at the bottom of a wrecked friendship, of a failed business partnership, of a shattered marriage, of a broken home, you will find to some degree stolen glory. That's why it breaks my heart when I'll have a couple sitting in front of me sometimes and I feel like I love them and their family and their kids more than they do. They are so entrenched in, I'm not gonna budge an inch. I'm not gonna acknowledge any fault. Someone else has to start first and they're destroying their own marriage and it's fed by pride and glory and glowworm thinking. But the heart, that sinful heart is just so, I'm not gonna give in, I'm not gonna give in. Biggest problem is a sin problem. My second point is that this condition we have of being glory thieves is not like, well, whatever. Oh, not whatever. This condition of being glory thieves at war against the glory of God brings down the wrath of God on us. And I won't repeat everything I said last week. We dug down into it last week. But I do want to say this. If you let go of this concept that is very biblical, that's clear. Here's what I think is interesting. We've got people today, not just outside the church. It's no surprise that people outside the church would want to rewrite scripture, right? And edit out uncomfortable places and make it more user-friendly. What breaks my heart, but God told us it would happen. I love it. If you'll read your Bible, you never find yourself thinking, oh, I didn't see that coming. He tells us. I'm memorizing Acts right now. Acts 20, not the whole book. A place in Acts. Acts 20, 18 to 31, where Paul says, For I know this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, deceiving the flock. And then he says, also, so it's no surprise that from the outside they get it wrong. He said, also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. We got it going on on the outside. Sadly, we got it going on in the inside. People rising up who claim to be Christians, who claim to be so-called scholars, biblical scholars, that want to edit out uncomfortable places. Church growth books just harp on this all the time. That's why I don't read them, hate them. That'll say, we've got to adjust our message. We've got to adjust the message if we're going to reach people today. I find myself thinking, and we'll reach them with what? What? What will we have left if we adjust the message? Folks, God hasn't called us to draw a crowd, win friends, and see how easy we can make this. He's called us to be faithful messengers. And listen, it's actually a hopeful message. You say, Brad, you hit on depravity and sin so hard. Why? I'll tell you why. A, it's in the Bible. B, the good news of the gospel and God's loving rescue just falls flat and like something you can just kick to the curb and think about. Oh, I'll think about that one day. It's left as something optional, like a Hallmark greeting card. You know what I mean? Like when, when people today hear, well, oh, God loves you. Even there was a track as I was growing up in the 70s that was very popular. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Most people today would like, Duh, I knew that. He's supposed to. He's God. He loves me. Whatever. Right? Folks, 
When you get a hold of the fact that God loves you and sent his son to die for you, to rescue you from his own wrath, when you get it in that perspective, you will just find yourself saying, oh my goodness, God loves me and I'm a sinner that was in rebellion against him. I'm a glory thief, I'm a glowworm. Why would he, while I was still thieving and striving and against him, he gave his son for me. You're moved by the love of God when it's framed up with the holy, just wrath of God. And you realize, I didn't deserve forgiveness or mercy or grace, but he gave it anyway, and it cost him his son. Rob Bell whom I appreciate for some of his writings and have benefited, is one of those guys that just have moved further and further and further and further away from biblical truth to the point that his last book, see, here's what happens. People that have a wide platform with lots of influence, it breaks my heart, with lots of influence, begin to speak a friendlier message that is not biblical. And it's not just like, well, that's a little different. Folks, it's heresy and it's horrible I would not, I'm a sinner, I am a sinner. And I tremble at the account I'm gonna give to God for how I shepherded these 1,500 people. But I tremble to think of Rob Bell standing before God one day, and he will. And to give an account for the message he has proclaimed now to so many. His last book called Love Wins was subtitled Heaven, Hell, and the Fate of Every Person Who Ever Lived. Great. Sounds real serious to me, and it is. Sounds like a message that ought to be talked about, and it should. But you can't just say whatever you want. He dances all around the whole issue, uses some horrible hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is how you interpret the Bible. And then twists some original Greek and throws some Greek around. Let me tell you something. I'll give you some Greek sometimes, not a lot. Don't ever be intimidated by someone quoting Greek original words to you. You can read your English Bible and understand absolutely what you need to know. Oh, there's some places that are hard that I'm still saying, God, give me greater understanding. Here's the deal on the wrath of God. They're editing it out, not because it's unclear. Romans 2.5 is not unclear that we read last week. That you, in your stubborn and unrepentant heart, are storing up for yourselves wrath in the day of revelation. That's not unclear. It's unsettling. It's unpopular. But it's not unclear. And time, here's what's just, he, he basically comes down saying, nobody is going to hell because God is love. And Time Magazine quote says this about him. Time Magazine says that he is a electrifying, unconventional pastor. See, that's the world's way of saying, unconventional simply means He's not saying what the Bible says anymore, but that's exciting. He's unconventional. We're so tired of those stuffy pastors that keep saying the same thing all through church history. Say something different. Now you're unconventional and you sell tons of books. Electrifying, unconventional, who is a singular rock star in the church world today. And they listed him as one of the top 100 people of most influence in the world for 2011. And yet one of the most influential people in the world who's a rock star, so-called, in the church is preaching a lie. That's scary. So I'm your friend 
This church is your friend. You may go out mad. Maybe you were mad last week. Maybe you weren't here last week and you didn't know not to come back. (laughs) But I'm your friend that we're going to keep telling you not just God is love, but God is holy and just and, and, and he has wrath against sin. But this very God who his wrath rises up against sin is the one who provides the solution for that very problem. What kind of God does that? And it wasn't a solution where he says, I'm just going to pass it over. I'm just going to turn my head. Imagine this. Anyone here who's a parent gave his son, turned to his son and said, would you go? And the son said, I'll go. For best friends, no. For dear people who were loving him back, no. For enemies. And then God the Father watched his precious son reviled, betrayed, misunderstood, spat upon, beard yanked out, crown of thorns, humiliated, hung naked. And then, that was at the hands of men. Then God the Father himself poured out his wrath that I should have received and you should have received, but Christ stepped into the path of God's wrath willingly and took it and absorbed it for us. And that's my third point that I want to dive into. The bad news is our sin and that we're glory robbers and it brings down God's wrath. But there's some great news. Point number three, our own effort could never save us. Never. And that's why it's all about grace and all about Christ from start to finish. And there's a glorious word that stands out in the book of Romans that you don't hear a lot today, but it's worth understanding. It's the word justification. It stands out like a diamond set against some black velvet and the right kind of lighting in a jewelry store. It's used 39 times in the New Testament. 29 of those times come at the hand of Paul and most of his 29 are packed into this one book, Romans. Justification, because folks, justification is God's only remedy for our condemnation, and he provides it. Justification. Go to Romans 3. If you're already there, then great, but Romans 3. Because Romans 3, 23 to 25, puts justification on display. You know how when you go in a jewelry shop, they've, they've thought this through, right? I mean, there's certain things that they want to pop. And stand out. There's a reason they put diamonds against something dark. And there's a reason for all that extra lighting and tilted lighting. And that's what's going on in Romans 3, 23 to 25. And I want you to see it. Because there's a theological mouthful in Romans 3, 23 to 25 that's worth breaking down and chewing. And I want to dive down into it and lift some of these precious gems to the surface for you to truly, truly look at and be amazed by. Let me read it again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation for our sins through his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness. Every phrase in those three verses should be precious to guilty sinners who are hanging over the brink 
of eternal destruction that we rightly deserved, but God. Let's start with the word justified. Justified is precious, you guys, because it means God declares us just, just, righteous in his sight. It doesn't mean you are. Here's the good news. You say, well, that's not very encouraging. Oh, it's very encouraging. Justification means when you put your faith in Christ, God declares you righteous, just, forgiven. The record of your sin, and it was a lot, is removed And the righteousness of Christ and his perfect obedience to the law is replaced and given to your account as if you had done it. So it's not like justification means, oh, now I am really good. I am. No, 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 you're not. But God declares you so anyway on the basis of his son and not you. That's good. Justified. The word freely is precious, you guys. The word freely is precious because it means we can't earn this. You can't earn this thing we're talking about because there's a human tendency to think, I gotta earn it, I gotta do something. At least I gotta bring something to the table. I need to be part of the equation because nothing is truly free, right? And it's true in this world. We know there's nothing free. When the phone rings and that person, hey, Mr. Bigney, so glad I caught you. We've got for you two free nights, expenses paid, everything at Gatlinburg or wherever. Like, I'm hanging up. I hope you do too. It's not free. There's no way. It is not free. And if you make the mistake of going, you'll find out. You're going to be trapped in this little room where they show you slides about the condos and they want you to buy one and you're in there for six hours and you can't even see Gatlinburg and that's why they let you come because they're going to... Don't go. And there's fine print and there's catches and there's clauses and there... This is not that. Being justified freely. 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 It's a gift. By his grace. You say, how do, how do I get this? Based on what? By his grace. And that phrase is precious because it means that behind the wrath of God, there's also another impulse of God's heart that moves him. And it's grace that moves God to come to sinners not because he saw anything good in them. God doesn't look across the universe and think, well, now there's someone that shows promise for being a Christian. Now there's, some, there's a young lady taking the right steps anyway. There's someone starting to clean up their act. There's someone, no! Grace means he doesn't see anything in you deserving it. It's not based on you and your behavior and your characteristics. That's what makes it grace. It's unmerited. And the reason that is so good is because You get it not based on your merits and that's why you can keep it not based on your merits because it never was about you to begin with by his grace. Through the redemption is a precious phrase, folks. Through the redemption because that word redemption speaks of a purchase price and it speaks of slavery and bondage. It It was a slavery marketplace term where someone would be bought back. When Christ died Redemption was provided. A price was paid to buy us back. You were a slave to Satan, a slave to your own sins. And redemption means you can have a new master and be unshackled. Unshackled. You don't have to keep doing what you're doing. You don't have to listen to your flesh. You don't have to listen to the world. Bought back. 
Say, and he's the best master. If that word master still bothers you, he's like, well, it's still a master. Yeah, you wouldn't want it any other way. He's the best master. He says, a smoking flax he will not quench. A bruised reed he will not snap off. That's the kind of master you'll have now. Loving, gentle, compassionate. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus is a precious phrase because it indicates it's all about Christ. It doesn't say that's in Christ Jesus plus what you mean. It's not Christ plus anything. It's not Christ plus. Oh, I know Jesus has got to be in there, Brad. It's amazing how often when I talk to people in our area and try to share the gospel, they've got Jesus. If, you know, most people give you Jesus. They just don't have Jesus exclusively. They'll start talking about their baptism or christening or something or I'm good or I'm... And I'll say, and sometimes they won't even mention Jesus. I'll say, well, what about Jesus? Oh, yes, 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 of course, Jesus. It shouldn't come about that way. When I ask you what your hope is for true forgiveness and freedom and that you're going to heaven, Jesus ought to be one of the first things that come out of your mouth, not your baptism, not your church membership, not that you're pretty good. Jesus, Jesus, that is in Christ Jesus Oh, look at this. Whom God set forth. Some of your translations say whom God displayed publicly. You know why that's precious? Because it reminds us that this great act of what God did in rescuing us, in buying us back, did not happen in a corner somewhere. And this is not part of Grimm's fairy tales that it's like a wonderful story. I wish it was true. The death of Christ was set forth, publicly displayed in space and time and history under a Roman government on a piece of land that still exists today, this happened. And it happened publicly with hundreds of eyewitnesses. To be a propitiation is the word that I touched on last week at the close of the sermon. Propitiation is a big word that we don't want to lose that simply means the wrath of God has been turned back by the sacrifice of Christ so that God now can sing over you and delight in you and call you his adopted son and daughter. And wrath wasn't just diverted and it's hanging out there somewhere and maybe someday it could come back and get me. It's been satisfied because Christ absorbed it. He took the blow. He took the hit. He gave the all-sufficient Payment. That's why when you read the book of Hebrews, it talks about, and our great high priest Jesus, has, he's not standing, hovering, swinging incense, still doing things like earthly priests. What's it say? He has sat down at the right hand. Why did he sit down? Because his work is finished. That's why when he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. Everything that needed to be done to buy us back and to set us free was accomplished in that moment on the cross. And when Christ rose again from the dead, by his blood is a precious phrase because it shows us a price was paid. A huge price. Jesus didn't just come to live as an example and do some kind deeds, heal a few people, feed some hungry people. His blood was shed and it was a beating. It was horrific. And the wrath of God was piled on top of that. That's the price that was paid to rescue you from destruction and eternal separation from God. And the very person who gave it 
was God himself. So God himself sent his son, gave his son to take care of the problem that we could not have solved on our own. Final phrase that I want you to get. You say, Brad, how do I get this? How? How does it become mine? How do I get forgiven and free and justified and sung over? Last phrase. Through, say it, faith. Faith. Now don't substitute right there. If you think faith is just saying, oh, I believe there was a Jesus and that he lived. Oh, I believe in God. Yay, so do the demons. And they're one up on you. It says, and they tremble. They believe in God and they tremble. Just saying, I believe Jesus lived is not what that verse is talking about. Through faith means, faith is when you put your trust. You're not trusting in yourself anymore. It's not your good works. It's not Jesus plus you. You're saying, God, I could never, ever be good enough. I could never save myself. My church membership means nothing. My baptism means nothing. My desire to treat other people the way I would want to be treated, keep the golden rule, means nothing. Now, don't hear me saying it means nothing on the level of it doesn't impact our culture. Praise God for people who try to live that way. It makes for a better world. Do hear me saying it won't get you into heaven. Through faith, you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, one with God, very God. And that he did what the Bible says he did, that he came to our earth and he, he lived the only perfect life that's ever been lived out and then gave his life in sacrifice for our sins in final payment. And you believe that that is your only hope. And you say, yes, Lord Jesus, come into my life. John chapter one, verse 12 says, but as many as received him, you receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You become a child of God, right? Because you get adopted into the family. You're not automatically. So when rock bands, I know they mean well, when rock bands have big concerts to raise money for farm aid or whatever, and they talk about all of us being the children of God, they're wrong. By nature from birth, you're a child, you're not gonna like this, of the devil. You have to be born into this. You have to become a child of God. Now, that bad news is you're not. There's some really good news. This offer goes out to anyone. It's a free gift. Jesus has come. It's not just certain people of economic strata, not just certain people with a certain background. Whosoever will may say it. Come. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're just religious, you're just all about church, I don't know. Where you're at, come to Christ as your only hope. But I'm gonna ask the worship team if they join me as we get ready to close. Come to Christ, come to Christ, come to Christ. Maybe you're here and you are a Christian. I got a word for you. Make it all about Christ. Come to Christ again and again and again because you don't just start with Christ. You say, all right, I started with Christ. He's my, and you've moved on to other things and, and you got this sense that you, you fall into this trap of it's what I do now to stay saved and to keep changing and growing. Folks, Paul said it well when he said in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain for I labored more abundantly than they all. You do put forth effort to, to live the Christian life. Yet not I, 
but the grace of God which was with me. You get grace from Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, Christian. Treasure Jesus. Worship Jesus. Love Jesus. Learn more of Jesus. Follow Jesus. Make him your greatest treasure and your rock of righteousness and your very source of power that enables you to live supernaturally to love other people in a fallen, broken world. It is all about Jesus. Oh God, thank you for this message of hope that stands out like a diamond against the darkness of our sinful condition. God, thank you for rescuing us Thank you for redemption. Thank you for justification. Thank you for setting forth your son publicly as a sacrifice for us. Oh, God, do a good work in every heart here. Those that don't know you, draw them to yourself. Bring them to the feet of Jesus to cry out for grace and mercy. Christians who need to be revived in understanding what you've done for them and to make it more about Jesus again, stir them. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.